Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, you know what it is, episode 48 for the love of the game. Let's go. Yeah. Back home smoking legal. I got more slaps than the Beatles. Foint running on diesel, dog. Playing with my native this lethal, dog. Don Corleone. Trust me, at the top it isn't lonely. Everybody acting like they know me, dog. Don't just say it now, you gotta show me. What you gotta do? Bring the clip back empty. Yeah, asked to see the ball, so they sent me, dawg. I just broke off with a 10 piece, dawg. There ain't nothing, I'm just being friendly, dawg. It's just a little 10 piece for it, just to blow it in the mall. Doesn't mean that we involved. I just what? I just uh, put a Richard on the card. I ain't go playing ball, but I'll show you how to. Gotta do it if you really wanna fall. Take your five and your back against the wall, and a bunch of need you to go away still going bad on them anyway saw you last night but did it all day yeah a lot of murk coming in a hard way got a sticky and i keep it at my dog's place girl i left you love it magic not saw shade still going bad all right all right all right welcome back everybody it is ath back doing his thing behind the mic back in the studio so full disclosure this uh episode episode 48 was supposed to happen last thursday before the start of the NBA Finals between the Raptors and the Warriors, but scheduling got a little messed up, so we're here. Um, Obviously, I had to uh, hit you with uh, a little Drake verse in honor of the Toronto Raptors being in the NBA Finals. You know that was coming. Um, So, yeah, so uh, right now the NBA Finals, uh, the series is split at one game apiece, and we will touch on this in a, a lot greater detail later on in the show. I will say it's Super refreshing to have a different finals matchup this year. A more interesting finals matchup for sure. So I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, LeBron James' streak of going to the NBA finals ended this year. Uh, And so he's been stuck at home. He actually missed the entire playoffs altogether. So he's been home a while now uh, with time to host house parties where basically nobody shows up. Yet he documents it on Instagram, which is a little strange. Uh, But LeBron is old news right now. So let's focus on the news that matters. So before we delve into all things NBA Finals and NBA related, uh, here are a couple of the highlights of what's going on in the world of sports just to get you all a little caught up. So we are deep into the Stanley Cup right now. Uh, Blues against the uh, Boston Bruins. After the St. Louis Blues got the split in Boston, uh, winning game Two in overtime. Well, they got absolutely demolished in game three. 7 2 Bruins in St. Louis. Yikes. Uh, puck drops for game four in just a couple of minutes as we're recording this. Uh, first game, or I should say, first two games were exceedingly entertaining. Game three, not so much. Uh, and all of you know, I can't stand 95% of Bostonians. So, needless to say, let's go Blues and let Boris dance for those who don't realize what that is. Uh, Viva la Stool. Um, The French Open is underway in Roland Garros, a spot I was lucky enough to visit about uh, a year ago last year. Roger Federer is playing in the French Open for the first time since 2015. He probably won't win the tournament because Rafael Nadal owns this tournament, but it's great to have Fed back at the French. The big three of Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal 
have all looked really, really good so far. Uh, I personally think the only guy who has a prayer to beat Nadal at the French is Novak Djokovic. Um, I think his game translates a little better on that surface than uh, Feds does or, or anybody else for that matter. But we shall see what happens over at the French. Uh, it's been an a interesting tournament so far. The New York Yankees have been on a very nice run as of late. And yes, there will be more baseball talk after the NBA Finals are done with and the NBA Draft is over and free agency dies down and the Stanley Cup is over. But uh, So baseball fans, sit tight. I, I, I promise I got you uh, coming in a little bit. But I got to mention uh, the Yankees right now. They have won nine straight series after taking two of three from the Red Sox this weekend. And they currently sit at 38-20, and 20, are in first place in the AL East. They are doing this without the likes of Luis Severino, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Andahar, even Gary Sanchez missed some time. Uh, it is unreal what they're doing right now. Guys like Gio Urshela coming up and balling, and not just hitting, but actually playing good defense at third base, which is uh, a nice change given um, what Miguel Andujar was uh, putting out there last year. It's nice to be able to field. Who knew? Um, Herman uh, has nine wins out of nowhere. Um, he's cooled off the last two starts, but whatever. I mean, he's gotten off to such a great start. Gary Sanchez has the most home runs in the American League, even while missing a chunk of time. He might be the most feared hitter in the American League right now. He's back to uh, the Kraken. We're releasing the Kraken all over the place. Uh it's pretty fun to see. Glaber Torres has been unbelievable. And my guy, my dude, DJ LeMahieu, doing all the little things for this team, hitting for average, going first to third, playing good defense on multiple different positions. I absolutely love this guy. And he may have been the best pickup in the offseason for any team so far. The bullpen has been great, um, even with the likes of Betances not being healthy. Uh, it's a really fun team to watch and a real breath of fresh air for Yankee fans who are getting kind of frustrated watching a team have a lineup stacked of right-handed hitters just strike out a bunch. Um, do I want Aaron Judge back? Of course. Uh, but Miguel Andujar and most importantly Giancarlo Staten, take your sweet-ass time coming back. Just, just no need to rush anything. Uh, and now to the NBA. Lots to catch up on right now since the finals are in full swing. And there was a major piece about just how much of a shit show the Los Angeles Lakers have become. And we'll get into all of this uh, in a couple of minutes just to uh, catch you guys up on what's been going on up until the finals. Uh, I will not be getting into the fact that the Knicks got the third pick in the draft and not the first pick, which made me exceedingly sad, as many of you saw on my Instagram Live, my live reactions. There will be a lot of Knicks offseason talk when the draft gets closer and closer to free agency. Uh, Knicks fans out there know, and, and any basketball outfit out there knows just how important this offseason is for the New York Knicks, and we will get into all the nitty-gritty uh, that is the, the Knicks offseason when it comes uh, closer. I do have to confess, I got to come clean. Uh, I was all over the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of them being a legit title contender. I really thought that they were actually going to win the whole thing. They had a regular season profile of what a future champion looks like. They won over 60 games. They had the most wins in NBA history by over double digits in a season. And they had the best player this year and most probably this year's MVP in Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
They cruised, absolutely cruised to the conference finals and were up 2-0 on these same Toronto Raptors that are representing the Eastern Conference in the finals at the moment. And then it went all to crap. The Raptors won four straight games. Kawhi Leonard was absolutely otherworldly on both ends of the floor. For the conference finals, Kawhi basically averaged 30 points a game, 9.5 rebounds a game, about 4.5 assists a game, a block a game, and two steals a game. I mean, just just absurd. He shot 45% from the field and 34% from three, which is, if you actually look at it, rather impressive given the way uh, defense ramps up in the playoffs and how good Milwaukee's defense was all year. And on top of all of that, he put the clamps on Giannis Antetokounmpo defensively better than anyone has all year. Uh, he did have some help throughout the series. I mean, Kyle Lowry had some moments. Marcus All had some moments. Same with Serge Ibaka. But the main supporting guy who really stepped up, who was the story for, as Charles Barkley would call the others, for the Toronto Raptors was Fred Van Vliet who was absolutely dreadful for the first two games of the Milwaukee series. But that in the last four games, he shot over 70% from three uh, to close the series out. Seems like having a baby for him and, and his, uh, his wife gave birth to a son uh, really improved his game. Who knew that that was going to happen? As for the Bucks, it wasn't just Giannis who struggled. Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe were absolutely dreadful. Bledsoe was especially dreadful, and that contract extension that they gave him in the middle of the year, $17 million a year, about just, I I think Milwaukee would love to have that one back. Uh, He deserved it during the year, but man, uh, it looked rough in the playoffs. Malcolm Brogdon struggled as well, and with Toronto playing basically a zone against Giannis and not letting him drive or or do a lot of those things, uh, those other guys needed to make shots for Milwaukee, and they straight up didn't. Uh, I heard a great stat. Uh, I think it was on the uh, Rosillo and Simmons podcast. Uh, shout out to my guy, Ryan Rosillo. Love that dude. Since 1980, the best player on a championship team in the NBA has always been at least 27 years old. Except for two exceptions. Larry Bird in 1981 and Tim Duncan in 1999. That's been the be- the case. Uh, the best player to lead a team to a title is 27-year-old years old or older. So to ask Giannis Antetokounmpo to do this at 24 when he's turning 25 may have been a little bit much to ask. Now, he's not a finished product yet. He still needs a pull-up game and a mid-range game to keep the defense honest. And yes, to all the stat nerds, uh, if you haven't noticed in the playoffs, you need to be able to shoot mid-range jump shots and make them. Um, You know, kudos to uh, the real basketball people as opposed to the stats people uh, who thinks it's just numbers crunching, but whatever. I, I've I've beaten that uh, that point into the ground again um, over and over again, but I, I figured I'd get one last shot in there. Uh, and anyway, um, yeah, he needs a mid-range game. He needs a more defined post move, um, but we haven't seen the last of Giannis. Uh, the Bucks have a very important offseason this offseason. Brooke Lopez is a free agent. So is Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. And I do think that Milwaukee is actually, even being a small market team, is actually going to be willing to go into the luxury tax um, to run this team back uh, because, you know, Giannis's contract is coming up in a couple of years and they want to make sure that they stay competitive while he's there. So he's going to sign that uh, massive extension because, you know, he's one of, at worst, one of the four best players in the league. I mean, hands down. So you got to do whatever you can to keep him. Uh, we'll see how the offseason goes. It's a really important offseason for them. But uh, some, for some reason, I should say that 
I don't think we've seen the last of Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, making deep runs into the playoffs. Uh, the Toronto Raptors run also proves that the Philadelphia 76ers, who lost to Toronto in the second round in seven games on that Kawhi miracle shot that bounced four times, should definitely, you know, not be adverse of trying to run it back. Uh, and it should at least do what they can to sign Jimmy Butler because those guys played together for, you know, about a half a season, and they gave Toronto everything that they could ask for. And they're also not that far off. Um, so this was actually a really good indictment on just how good Philadelphia was and these top three teams in the East. Uh, as I've said all along, we're going to be the biggest challengers to Golden State uh, in this finals. Uh over out west, the Warriors beat the Blazers uh, to make the finals for their fifth straight year. I mean, what what a run. The Blazers held the lead for w- many more minutes in this series than the Warriors did, and yet they got swept with Kevin Durant out injured. I mean, this Warriors team, it's a little startling that they get down in these games, but no team has the ability to turn it on, especially after halftime. I mean, you saw that last night in Game 2 that we'll get into, um, but they did it again with an 18-0 to run. Um, this Warriors team can snap it on like this. It's it's really crazy. The, the core of Steph, Clay, Draymond, who's now uh, 20 pounds lighter and in shape, who looks like a top 15-17 to 17 NBA player again, and Andrea Iguodala is just, just a special group. So, yeah, so that's basically where we are now um, after the first two games in Toronto. Uh, the series is tied at one with game three coming up Wednesday night at the Oracle. Uh, last thing before we get into, you know, more in depth on the uh, on the finals matchup and, and talk about the the Lakers uh, just disaster that they are. The all NBA teams were announced, and this is important because it has major salary ramifications for a couple of guys going forwards. Guys who are voted onto one of these three teams are now eligible for what's called the Supermax, uh, where basically their hometown team can offer offer them up to $50 million extra. Uh, so yeah, so here are the results for the All-NBA teams. First team, you had Steph Curry, James Harden, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Paul George, and Nikola Jokic. Second team was Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid. Third team was Russell Westbrook, Kembra Walker, LeBron James, Blake Griffin, and Rudy Gobert. Uh, not too many qualms with these uh, selections. Uh, I personally would have bumped Kyrie down to the third team and had Russell Westbrook on the second team. I understand that Kyrie's stats were amazing this year. I understand that Russell Westbrook's shooting statistics were borderline disastrous uh, this year. But Kyrie's attitude and what he did to that Celtics team this year, he shouldn't be rewarded for a second team All-NBA spot. He, he he should be penalized for that. Uh, his stats and efficiency were too good to bump him to third team, but, you know, he, I personally think that he should have been third team. And you know what? The shooting numbers weren't great, but Russell Westbrook uh, has an impact on that team. Um, I, I just can't put Kyrie on the second team, but not, not crazy. Uh, I personally would have given Bradley Beal the nod over Kemba Walker on the third team, but I can't be too mad about that because both guys missed the playoffs. And for, you know, Clay Thompson, who was in the mix, I mean, he started out the first two and a half months of the year super cold, and that's what probably cost him uh, that spot. I know he's mad that he's a free agent, and it probably cost him $50 million, 
But, Clay, you know, the NBA stacked with more talent than it's ever, you know, had before. And if you have a cold couple of months, you know, it's just going to be the case where you're going to get knocked off one of these teams. And it's just the way it is. Uh, and lastly, I definitely would have picked LaMarcus Aldridge on the third team over LeBron. To reward LeBron James with an all-NBA selection this season is a farce. I mean, nobody had bigger empty calorie stats than LeBron. You know, he didn't improve this Lakers team. I know he got injured. I, I get all that. But, I mean, come on. Anybody who watched the Lakers knew that they were a disaster, and LeBron stopped trying on defense basically the whole year, and especially after he came back from injury. LaMarcus's, LaMarcus Aldridge's Spurs team made the playoffs. I, I don't think LeBron James should have been rewarded with a spot. But it's third team. It is what it is. Uh, and, again, the results really affect guys like Kemba Walker and Klay Thompson, um, who are free agents this uh, coming summer. Uh, does it stink that the media controls the fate of these guys' contracts to an extent? Yeah, it, it, it really does. But honestly, it's the best option. And more importantly, the players agreed to do this in the collective bargaining agreement. Um, so they really can't complain about it that much because they agreed to this. And so we'll see how that all shakes out this summer. And with that, uh, let's bring on tonight's guest to uh, talk a little bit in depth about uh, the NBA Finals, what we've seen so far, and he uh, and he has to talk about his uh, Lakers. So uh, we're going to bring him on in just a minute. Okay, so uh, you know what it is, and um, I, I teased this a little bit earlier. I think you can all guess who uh, tonight's guest of honor is, uh, given that um, you know NBA Finals are in full swing. But most importantly, there was a major ESPN article about just how dysfunctional the Lakers are, so I had to bring on everybody's uh, favorite Kobe Bryant stan, uh, Mr. Robert Carpellis. Rob, how does it feel to be a fan of a team that has taken Sacramento Kings and New York Knicks level of dysfunction to a new level? No, no, no. It's not that bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's not It's not New York. New York Knicks bad is like, that's that's like two decades worth that we have to compete with. You know, we're not, we're not, we haven't had that much, um, you know, continuous streak of like being abysmal. That is, we're, 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 we're bad, but you know, it's not, let's not, let's not get carried away. I mean, that article was pretty damning and we're going to talk about it, uh, in, in a couple of minutes, but there are important NBA games going on. So it, it's better to talk about, you know, the actual games that are happening. So we're two games into the series. It's a split, one game apiece. What was your biggest takeaway from the first two games? Um, you know what? I'll tell you. My takeaway is that I don't have a takeaway, and I'll tell you what I mean. At the end of game one, and this is just the world we live in now, at the end of game one, it was all about, wow, like, Warriors need to rent. The Raptors have their number. They look deep at every position. They look a step ahead of the Warriors. The Warriors are in trouble. And then game two happens, and for the first half, you're like, uh-oh, could this be, could this be, like, you're thinking, well, 2-0 Toronto? Could this be, like, a, a blowout type of a series? Um, the Raptors, again, look a lot better. And then, of course, the Warriors come back, and they have a huge spurt in the third quarter, like they always do, it seems like. And... Now, boom, the Warriors are back to having home court advantage. They're in the driver's seat, and everybody thinks they're going to take care of business in Golden State. So I don't have a takeaway because things change quickly, and I, I could see I, – I mean, I think, listen, like logically, 
and statistically, the Warriors should win this series. Before the series started, especially now, back having home court, Durant might come back in a few games. So, yeah, the takeaway is Warriors are back in the driver's seat, but like I said, things change game to game. And I think the Raptors did certain things in game one that made you think, huh, they can really take the Warriors out of what they do, and maybe they have the edge. And then in the second half of game two, you saw the Warriors take the Raptors out of what they do best, and you think, okay, maybe the, you know, the edge is back to the Warriors now. So it really just – it's all about, like, who can sort of Im- impose their it, – it's, it's adjustments, it's exploiting mismatches, it's game planning, and, like, you know, game to game, certain things change. So it's like – it's a chess match a little bit. So, you know, who can play that better? The Warriors have done it longer. They've proven it and now they're going back home. So the edge to the Warriors, of course, but like I said, you know, game to game, I think I'm still not counting the Raptors out. Yeah, I I, I honestly have no feel for this series after the first two games. Uh, absolutely none. Um, a couple of takeaways I have, though, is that I haven't seen a defender frustrate Steph Curry the way Fred Van Vliet has frustrated Steph Curry. That was one thing I noticed, and it's just like it's, it's it's really striking because Curry had a good game in terms of volume, uh, in terms of numbers, raw numbers, but like he hasn't, and he wasn't great in game two either, and he went like scoreless for you know about a quarter and a half, which was which was nuts. Um, you know, so Fred Van Vliet has done an unbelievable job on him, and Kyle Lowry a little bit too, a little bit too, but he's picked up foul trouble. Uh, that was the first thing. I mean, the second thing is, and this goes back to the uh, the Portland series. I mean, Draymond Green being in shape and and being engaged and and not just you know having him have more responsibility. I mean, the guy looks like a top 15, 17 NBA player again. Um, and and the third thing was is that Andre Iguodala. I, I hope he stays healthy. Uh, because he's he's so fun to watch do the little things. And I know he hit that big shot yesterday that, that iced it to put him up five. I mean, he's just he's just awesome. And, and he's the best guy that they have to guard Kawhi Leonard and, and shut him down. And, and not shut him down, but, but limit him. And I noticed that the Warriors, the biggest adjustment they made was, was like, you know, especially at home. You know, role players play better at home. So game one, they sold out to stop Kawhi, and Kawhi still got his, but they, he was relatively quiet. But then, like, Pascal Siakam had tons of driving lanes um, and was 14 for 17 in a monster game, and Van Vliet had a monster game, um, and Marcus Gasol had wide-open shots from the top of the key. And in game two, they were just like, we can't let the role players go nuts. And, and that was the difference. I mean, they still had good looks, um, but they, they made a – concerted effort not to let the role players go nuts and that was the difference in game two and then now it, we're even yeah i think that's one of the underrated things of the warriors too the role guys like livingston always comes in and always does something good always hits the bucket makes the right pass plays some defense gets the steal iguodala even bogut like played played, played well in the fourth quarter right was, was finishing around the rim so like it's we the warriors depth really isn't mentioned a lot but I think they just have guys that have been there for so long, and 
they just know how to step up. They know how to sort of play off of the Warriors stars and they always seem to produce. And I think that's um, another underrated storyline and probably what makes the Warriors even, even, even so good. It's not just their stars or their first, you know, their starting lineup, but some of their bench guys too. It's funny you talk about uh, Sean Livingston specifically because he had been absolutely brutal up until, you know, game two of this series. Like he, he had had a rough playoffs altogether and, you know, uh, guys who I'm sure you and I both listen to, like Zach Lowe, have talked about how once they decided to sign Durant, you know, all their depth was compromised because they were going to be a top-heavy roster, and you and you do that every single time. But you know, now that Durant is, um, you know, has been out, it, it's really put a, a spotlight on on the role players, and and you saw in Game One that if Curry or Thompson weren't taking the shot. You know, Draymond Green took a couple of shots, but everybody else was, like, afraid to shoot. And in Game 2, that that looked a little bit less the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's like addition by subtraction. I think, no, I think you're right. I think it's it's not like, you know, it's funny, like, the Twitter topic of, on that point, like, are the Warriors better without Durant? They're not, no one is is coming out and saying they're they're better without Durant. They're just, you know, when he's not there, they're they're such a good team that other guys step up and other guys play well. Their, their offense is more balanced. There's more depth off the bench. Certain guys step up, and it's, you know, it's such a deep team and it's such a talented team that, yeah, you take Durant off. Of course, they're not better, but they can still do a whole lot of things that drive other teams nuts. So that's, I think, the, the takeaway for me is, you know, yes, Durant is <laughs> makes every team he's on better, but with how the Warriors are sort of set up, He's not, you know, they, they can still win the championship without him. And that's, you know, that's just, that's, that's a fact. They can win the series without Durant. Like that's, you know, um, not many teams can say that if their best player leaves that they can, you know, they still have a chance to win it all. I mean, I, I, I we're going to touch on this, hold that Durant point for a second because the narratives have gone, have gone super crazy with him in a second. I wanted to get your, your thoughts on that. But yeah, no, the, it, this, you know, Warriors team with, with the core of Iguodala, Draymond, Steph, and Clay, since 2014 has been producing really, really, really good results. Um, and you and you mentioned that patented third quarter, um, you know, coming out of the half push. Um, first of all, before we get into that, how did you before the series started? How did you see this series going? Like, what was your prediction in terms of who was going to win, um, number of games? What would you think was going to happen? I thought it would be Warriors in seven. Warriors I think seven. that, um, yeah, Warriors in seven. I think that Toronto is the, the 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 main thing I like about Toronto is they're just really good at each position, you know. And they're sort of a throwback where like they have traditional players at each spot. They have a point guard, they have a shooting guard, they have a small forward, so on and so forth. And I think that 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 what that the advantage that that gives them is they're able to beat teams in a lot of different ways. And I think you need that when you play the Warriors. Like, if you're one-dimensional, like, if you're, you revolve, like, around one star, like, the Warriors could beat you, you know, especially especially with a guy like Draymond who can be all over the court defensively. But when you can spread it around, you have more of, like, a team game. It's, it's, you, it gives you the advantage against a team like Golden State, and they've got really good athletes on defense, which – for a team like Golden State that moves the ball around well, 
that's always um, that's always a huge plus. So those two things I looked at, and then of course you throw in Kawhi Leonard, who is right, arguably one of the best players you know going in the playoffs right now. To me, at home court, it's like I the way I thought of it was this is going to be a much tougher series than people think. So that's why I went. Um, Warriors and seven. It's, fu- it's funny you talk about Toronto in terms of being like an all-around team, and obviously they are, but like in Toronto, there's a clear pecking order, right? It's Kawhi Leonard is like the super-duper star. You have Kyle Lowry, who's like an all-star level player, uh, nice player. I mean, he's uh, he's had a relatively rough first two games, especially shooting the ball. I mean, he, yeah. had, a, he had a good floor game in game one, but... Uh, shooting the ball, you know, he, he, gets, he gets a lot of, he gets a lot of crap, which is funny. Cause it's like, he's not, like exactly like the way you explained him. Like he's good. He's not great. And it's funny when, when teams or people like hate on him and it's like, well, it's Kyle Lowry. Like, what do you like? Oh, Kyle Lowry only had, you know, 16 points tonight. Like, well, I mean, he's Kyle Lowry. Like he's not, what do you, you, you want to put up 30 tonight? Like, yeah, go on. Well, it's funny you say that because Kyle Lowry, the advanced metrics always love Kyle Lowry, right? He's always like a plus minus guy. Um, and he does a lot of little things, but as their secondary, you know, playmaker, you know, you need more than two for nine to play against the Warriors. Like you need more than two for nine. Like Kyle Lowry needs to score, you know, somewhere between 13 and 17 points, you know, for the Raptors to really have a good chance of winning this series. And it's frustrating when he doesn't because like the talent is there, but for some reason in the playoffs, like it just doesn't always translate for him. But anyway, back to Toronto. I mean, there's like a clear pecking order. Like they they have what's considered one star, and everybody plays off that star. Kind of like what Milwaukee had. The difference is is that, you know, they are absolutely, you know, a a, a tough-minded defensive team that that just makes people super uncomfortable. They just have guys who are absolute pit bulls in terms of playing defense. Um and and you know Marcus Sol, he's getting older, but he's a smart defender. Kyle Lowry's always been, you know, a good defender. Kawhi Leonard is arguably the best defender in the league. Um, Danny Green, a plus defender. Like they don't have any holes on defense, and and that matters. And that and that travels. So anybody who's thinking that like the Warriors are just going to take two at home because they're the Warriors, like defense no, travels. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it goes. I think I think it's. It's. I. I still. I actually. I don't think my projection has actually changed. I still. I still say Warriors in seven. I still think it goes seven games. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, to win a game seven on the road is is tough. So I, I defaulted to Warriors in six. But to be totally sure. honest, I I really don't have a feel at all. But I wanted to talk about, you know, game two's third quarter where, you know, the Warriors are, are famous for having their having their runs, but they didn't have it in game one. Like we all thought it was coming in game one because we've come to expect that, but it just never came. But in game two they went on that 18-0 run. Um and you just saw Clay Clay was having himself an absolute monster game before he got hurt. Um and and he's not Steph Curry. He hasn't won two MVPs, and and he's kind of a little bit of a goofy character. But I've argued, you know, for Clay Thompson in terms of his standing in the league uh, for a while. I mean, what are your thoughts on Clay Thompson in terms of 
not just this series and and I know he get, he got hurt with um with a hamstring injury and and that may affect you know the result depending on how healthy he is going forward. But what are your thoughts on Clay Thompson? You know, I'm gonna go a little. It's tough because like I was gonna say I was gonna go a little contrarian, but like I on one hand, you know, you think like okay, if Clay was on a team, like if Clay was on the Atlanta Hawks, right? Would he be like a top ten guy in the league? Would he lead them to like a deep playoff run? Like, is he that good, right? Where you put him on any team other than the Warriors and he stands out as one of the best, like, shooting guards in the league? Or is he a product, a little bit of the Warriors system where he's not like he can't create a shot on his own. Of course he can. But where he's just really, really good, where other guys are sort of, there's so much chaos going around the other guys on the court, like Steph and, and, and Draymond and Durant. And Clay's just in a really great system because he's such a good shooter where he can get to his spots and obviously dominate a game just because he's, you know, you have to you have to lay off him to guard some of those other guys and then he hits, you know, a bunch of threes from the outside. He can, he can you know, open the game wide up from there. So I sort of, like, I go, like, I, I kind of jump, you know, back and forth. I think it's somewhere in the middle. And I think to me that makes him an all-star. I don't put him as in that, like, I don't think he'd ever be in the superstar category. It's not like, you know, something like, you know, when Harden left the Thunder, he's now, you know, one of the best players in the league on the Rockets. I don't think that would happen with Clay. I think if he went to another team, he would stand out. He'd still be really good. But I don't think he would be in that, you know, superstar level. I think he certainly has, in terms of just, like, a confident shooter in a big-game situation, they're aren't many players that are better and he proved that again last night in game two it's like whenever the Warriors seem to need a big game especially from him he delivers um which means he's not just you know a guy who's got a good stroke um but he's a gamer too and which shows you just how much you know how much belief he has in himself um and he can listen he's he can create his own shot too he plays good defense like I love Clay. um and where would the Warriors be without him? Probably not. You know, they wouldn't have as many titles in the last few years as they've had. So uh, Clay's great. He's great for the Warriors. Um, I think he does the job well when called upon. He steps up. But I don't think, um, you know, I, I, there's probably, you know, you know, like everyone made the big deal when he wasn't on, on one of the, you know, all-NBA teams. You look at the guys on that list, most of those guys are better. Most of those guys, I think, maybe they didn't deserve it more because they didn't have as good as seasons, but... Again, I don't think Clay is necessarily underrated. Um, I think I think he's rated in the right spot. Okay, so 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 gun to your head, gun to your head. Would you rather, if you're starting a team, would you rather Clay Thompson or Kyrie Irving, the full package? Kyrie know? Irving, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving's a better, better all-around player, better ball handler, better passer. Um, See, I don't in today's NBA when getting in the lane and, and being able to find open shooters is so valuable. Um, yeah, I mean, and Kyrie can get to a level I think more consistently than Clay can. Kyrie's a big headache because of his personality, but um, all around basketball player, I, I would I would take Kyrie over Clay. Thompson. See, I, I think <laughs> I think I've been swung the other way on this one. I think I think yeah, I'd sure. ra- I'd rather Clay Thompson because of the headache stuff, because of the fact that he's an all defense caliber player. And the fact that, you know, I've seen 
and, and Kyrie Irving won a playoff game, you know, with a huge shot on the road. Um, but I've seen Clay Thompson win single handedly win a playoff game by himself on the road. Um, I mean, James Harden can't can't say that he's I done mean, that. Yeah, Kyrie, Kyrie won. I don't know if you remember Game Seven in 2016. Yeah. So no, <laughs> Kyrie's Kyrie's done it. I mean. Uh, Kyrie's done it, but just like the the headache with him is, is more the issue. I mean, I think Clay Thompson, yeah. you can plug him in on any team and he's going to score about 25 points a game because there is there are very few guys who are able to score 60 points in a game, 37 points in a quarter, and barely have to dribble the ball. And yeah. and he's yeah. one of them. Uh, yeah. I, no, it, it, it's a it's, Maybe it's, it's it's an argument for sure. Clay's Clay's great. It's an argument for sure. I just think we, you know, he's benefited a tad because he also plays for the Warriors. I, I'd like to see. I'd be very curious to see Clay go on his own. I hope he does, and to see how well he excels where the system is, where, where it's it's almost his team, where he's like one A or one B on a team, and, and see how far he can take a team. Sadly, I don't think that's going to happen because he's probably going to re-up this summer because he has no incentive yeah. to leave. Uh, I thought yeah. the big winner, yeah. though, the big winner of Game 3 was, I should say Game 2, was DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins, after Game 1, looked absolutely shot. He was coming back from a torn um, uh, a torn hamstring. Uh, yeah. I mean, what a game from DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, it's it's funny that now he's like a great game from him, which which is all the Warriors need, is you know like ten points and eight rebounds and a, right like that's that's all they need. And it's like wow, like look what Demar, you know, it's just it's funny to me thinking of how good Demarcus Cousins used to be, where you know anything less than like a you know a twenty and ten game was 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 considered like not great. But you know he, he did he played well. I felt like Toronto. It was a little interesting that they didn't. They played him one on one, which is fine, but I thought they should have swarmed him a bunch of times, like taking him out early and try to make and maybe try to cause some turnovers and maybe foul him a little more and frustrate him. Like they almost seem to sort of let him do his thing, and maybe that's just because there's so much attention on guys like Steph and Clay and everybody else. But I would have thought that maybe they would have tried to frustrate him and maybe even go after him more offensively and try to get him in some foul trouble. Um, but they didn't. I thought that was a matchup they could have exploited and, and, and failed to do that. Well, I think they'll probably try and do that in Game 3 if they're going to make an adjustment, yeah. considering uh, Kevon Looney got hurt, who was playing really well. Um, and you don't really trust Jordan Bell. So, I mean, even DeMarcus, who looked super slow coming back after Game 1, you know, because he hadn't played in a while. And he, and he looked, you know, a, a little plodding in Game 2, but he just... You could tell that since he got a game under his belt, there was a little bit more fluidity, even though he looked plotting. I actually thought for a while when the game was going to get out of hand for the Warriors um, and Steph was missing and he started cold and, and unless it was DeMarcus Cousins initiating offense, whether it was you know getting to the foul line um, or, or finding cutters because he's a really good passer, I actually thought they should have posted him up more and slowed the game down. Um, and, yeah. and, and tried to take advantage there because you know he thinks he can take Marcus All in the post. Yeah, yeah. It's just wild that the the um, the Twitter sphere was like they couldn't believe that starting Demarcus Cousins was a good idea, and then all of a sudden, like you know, 
he was really instrumental in their win. I mean, they don't win game two without him. Yeah, I mean, it's surprising because it's just not what the Warriors do. Or it's like, let's slow it down and we're getting low to our big guy. But you got to give credit. That's the other thing, too. It's kind of like underrated, not just in this series, but just overall, is how little we talk about how good of a coach Steve Kerr is. Yep. I don't know. I know he's been given a lot of play. I mean, everybody's hard. No one's free of error, but like in the world, it's like, you know, Steve Kerr is, right, like his lineups and his choices and how he slows down the rent and all that. But, I mean, he's done a really good job of finding the right advantage and, and spots and, and, and opportunities for almost everybody on that team. And I think that goes a really long way. Him and Mike Brown have done a really good job. And I'm, in, I'm impressed with how they were able to get the Marcus Cousins in the right spots. You know, and it wasn't, it was, it looked like it was by design. I mean, it wasn't like they went to him every trip down the floor. Of course not. But when they did go to him, it was always like the right pass and it was the right play and he was in a good spot to score. And I think that's how they felt. They're like, listen, we can get him going a little bit down low and he gives us, you know, 10 and 10 or 10 and 8. Then that's the advantage we need. And it was like, it, it, it it's working out for them in this series. I don't know. I felt like in, in a couple of the other series before he got hurt earlier, like, you know, in the year and, and, and the beginning of the playoffs, I felt like it was Cousins was not. <laughs> it didn't look like it was going to work out, but 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 now it is. Well, you got to get you got to give credit to to Boogie for understanding his situation in terms of like yeah. using this as a springboard. Um, and yeah, no, Steve, you're right about Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr doesn't get a lot of credit because he's been handed you know the golden ticket with you know amazing an amazing roster. But the difference between Steve Kerr um, and, say, like a guy like Mike D'Antoni uh, in the playoffs or even Mike Budenholzer, who's probably going to win Coach of the Year for the Bucks, like Steve Kerr has a system, but Steve Kerr is very willing to, you know, adjust that system and do something a little bit differently. I mean, think about all the different types of, you know, offenses they've run. They've had the the more ISO heavy with Durant. They've had the ball movement without Durant. They've had the ball movement with Durant. They've had Draymond practically running point. They've had, which I actually think they can do more of in, you know, going forward and have Steph Curry screen um, a little bit because, as you know, being a shooter, because uh, – playing guard one of the ways to get yourself open is just start screening for people you know and people have to force a switch so maybe that gets Steph Curry going a little bit um but he's willing to try new things and make adjustments even though he does have a clear system you know Budenholzer didn't do that against Toronto and and you saw Giannis struggle because of it uh Mike D'Antoni famously doesn't do that and and that's why I've ripped Mike D'Antoni as a playoff coach you know, on this show for the last two years, uh, Steve, Steve Kerr deserves a lot, a lot of credit. Um, so, yeah, so you're, you're going with the um, uh, prediction uh, Warriors in seven. How do you think the next two games go at Oracle? I think it splits. splits. I think it splits. I think it splits. And then, you know, from there I could see you know, the Raptors maybe going up 3-2. Warriors tie it up 3-3, and then uh, Warriors take in 7. I think the Warriors probably win in 6, but I honestly don't have – I don't really have a clue because I I can really see Toronto's defense, um, you know, traveling. And 
and living, you know, the, the injury bug with the Warriors just makes it a little interesting. And, and that comes up, you know, to bring back up Kevin Durant. I mean, it, it, for all indications, it sounds like he'll probably be back game four. Um, but who knows? Um, yeah, I mean, who knows how he'll be. I mean, in terms of this story, right, you know, we we both agree that Kevin Durant is at no worse one of the, the four best players in the league. I mean, I think you're on record saying that he's the best player in the league. Have you ever seen a situation where a guy that great almost is like a supreme luxury and not essential for the success of a team? Like, how weird is this? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, like, it it depends, right? Because let's say, like, let's say they lose, like, last year against the Rockets. I actually think they needed Durant in that series. I think if they don't have Durant, I think the Rockets would have won that series. Mm-hmm. I think Toronto could still win this series, and then you're like, you see, they need Durant still. So, I don't, I don't in other words, I don't want to go as far as saying they don't need Durant, because I still think they need Durant. And if they end up winning a title this year and they win three with Durant, I'm not comfortable saying that, well, they would have won all three without Durant. So probably would have won one, maybe would have won two, but I don't know if they would have won all three. So in other words, yes, they still need him. But you're right, it's, it's, it's awkward in that they might not need him. And if they win the title this year, of course everybody's going to start to say, oh, you see, they never really needed him and all that. So I don't buy it fully. Um, Neither do I, for the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's 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 interesting too because like Durant plays into it. You know, he got in that that awkward fight with Chris Broussard, and Chris Broussard said, you know, Durant's witness, you know, reliving his worst nightmare, and it it it's it, it's weird because he plays into it. You know, it seems like his ego's been a little bit hurt because sometimes he, he doesn't feel like if any prominent person calls him out and says like, ah, oh, see, like the Warriors don't need you. He'll, he'll, he'll answer or fire back on Twitter, which shows like it bothers him. Yeah. So it's, I think that's what makes it more awkward. Um, but you should have known that coming in, like you're going to go to a team that won 73 games, you know, anything less than perfection, they're gonna, you know, you're going to get caught. It's not like this team was, was, was like, you know, Chump change before you got there. So I mean, he should have known that. Um, it, it's it's weird, and that's why I think it never. You know, fans don't really love to have a love for this team, or there's no there's no appeal to this team like there was. You know, before Durant was out, I think that's what makes to me at least that's what makes this finals more um, appealing is that that Durant's not there. The Warriors are more fun when you know it's, it's yeah. without KD. Um, and I think that's why he's ultimately going to leave. Um, and, you know, maybe if the Warriors, I don't know. I, I, mean, I think either way he leaves. And I think, like you said, because of the awkwardness of the situation where you're, you're, you're the best player in the world, but your team is still winning a championship without you, um, it's just, yeah. It's, but I don't, again, I don't know what Durant, like, it's weird that he goes after guys who call him out because what did he expect? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, no one's going to give you validation for, for winning with a team that won 73 games before you got there. So um, It's wild because if you take off one of the four best players in the league off a team, that team should crater. Like, that's just the way it is. But, you know, this that's what's crazy about this Warriors thing, you know, because they have a second guy who's in that top four conversation. 
um, and two other dudes that are, you know, top 15 players when when they're right, and, and Andrea Goodell's like a super sub, and, and guess what? I think my, um, you know, my New York Knicks are going to benefit from this uh, in the offseason when I, I ultimately think he comes here. So um, yeah. with that with that said, let's transition because I just uh, transitioned to the offseason a little bit. So your your prediction is Warriors in seven. I'm going to say Warriors in six. I don't feel good about it. Um, but I couldn't talk to you without getting your take on the giant Lakers piece from ESPN.com. So so when you yeah. read the article, what were, what were your first reactions to the article after you finished it? So there's a guy I've mentioned to you on on this podcast before, on your podcast, that there's a there's a Laker guy. I'm not going to name him. I don't know. Um, he, he he rambles on Twitter a lot. He's a big lawyer, um, verified. You know, he, he is a lawyer. He's claims to be a big lawyer in L.A. Um, and I think he claims that he used to do some consulting work for Genie, or he used to. Um, he, he, he used to, in some way, he works, or, or not maybe not necessarily works for the Lakers, but in some way he was connected to the Lakers, and he knows about some of the sort of like, you know, underground dealings between Jeannie and her, her brothers and the bus, like, sort of trust fund and how the Lakers' ownership is set up and all those things. So anyways, he's been tweeting a lot throughout this season, and he's sort of grown in Twitter followers and Every once in a while, he tweets out a link like, I'm going on Fox Sports to talk about, you know, some things that I just said. So he's almost become like a trusted name or, or source, if you will, um, within, you know, the, the Twitter world of, of, of Laker fans, which is pretty big. Mm-hmm. And some guys will, like, retweet him who are pretty big, and some guys, some even big, I think, like, Ramona Shelbourne has, has blocked him because he, he calls her out a lot. And... So he's he's known. It's not like you know. It's not like he's got four followers. That you know, there there are people that that take a look at what he said, and a lot of people at the end of the season because he talks so much smack about the Lakers and said so many things that actually ended up coming true. Um, a lot of people have like you know replied to him on Twitter and was like, wow, everything that, that, that you said is like you know you're spot on. This team is and and the things that he's been saying is like you know the team is dysfunctional. Magic doesn't know what he's doing. Um, Rob Palinka is a snake. None of the GMs trust him. So, and a lot of that stuff, like early on in the year when he started to say it, was like, "Oh, like why is this guy saying this?" Lakers got LeBron. They had a winning record. Things look good. And now it's like, "Huh, okay, maybe he was on to something." Even when times were good. So, one of the things that he said was early on was, and I'm not quoting him here, but he said something to the effect on Twitter. He tweeted this out that you know, Magic is like he's 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 a I was, maybe the word tyrant is it, but he's like really tough to work for. Or he's an he's a control freak, and you don't know what he does to employees. Something like that. Not like he does anything malicious to employees, but almost implying like he's a tough guy to work for. I think that's what he really meant to say. Which is shocking and, because hold on, which is shocking because Magic Johnson on the surface, you know, is this bubbly personality that seems exactly. to get along with everybody. Exactly. So when I see him tweeting this stuff. Even me, I'm like, well, Magic, tough guy to work. I'm like, maybe, you know, Magic's got, got a lot of Starbucks stuff going on. He's a big business guy. Like, okay, maybe he's tough. That's interesting because, like you said, he doesn't seem that way on the surface. Seems like this, this happy, you know, really nice guy. And, and hey, just because you're a tough manager, a tough boss, that's not nothing wrong with that. Um, but it was interesting to see these tweets. So when I started to read the article and heard how tough Magic was, 
with that I think that one anecdote that that stood out in the in the Baxter Holmes article, which was Magic um, would would tell the employees like you know here's all your resumes and um, you know if you get out of line you, I've you know, got a thousand resumes on my like, desk. Right. So I, I started to think about those tweets that I saw from, from that, that unnamed guy. And I was like, huh, okay, that like, it, it was, it was making sense. And the more I hear about all this dysfunction, the more I sort of think about that, the, you know, the, the guy on Twitter that I've been following. And um, it, it, it sort of made sense. It was like, you know, when there's, when there's, you know, when there's Baxter Holmes, who's, you know, a really good ESPN writer and a trusted journalist, and I'm sure ESPN, that's a lot of their sources and all that. Um, it was like, you know, I'm sure Magic was really tough. I did hear, I, I do remember reading, too, that he fired a lot of people, specifically, like, on the Lakers training staff, um, which is, you know, like, I don't know why they were fired, but anyways, it, it just, it sort of, um, it just confirmed um some of the things that I've been hearing and reading about throughout the season. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, so it wasn't shocking. Um, I'm, and I'm sure maybe some of it, you know, it depends sometimes like the way you read into things like magic, putting a bunch of resumes on his desk. Maybe that's, that's his management style and that's how he gets things done. Um, so maybe that's good. I don't know, but you know, some people I'm sure who read that were like, wow, this guy was probably not the easiest guy to work for. Um, the Polinka stuff was kind of shocking too. You know, overstepping the boundaries, being in, in the locker room like during halftime when it's not really the GM's role, and um, that that one lie about that that Heath Ledger Kobe story was pretty funny. So it it's 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 not like it's I don't know if like chaos is the word. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of people there. Like that's what was so great about Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss, like the experience that they had. The Los Angeles Lakers should not be run by people who don't really know exactly what they're doing or people who don't have, like, if Magic comes in, somebody, wrote, like, posted a tweet and was like, well, that's what, that's what you know, Belichick's really tough and Popovich is really tough. I was like, yeah, but they have, like, 47 titles under their belt. Like, how many titles has Magic won as a coach or a GM or, you know? So Zero. Just, right. So, so when, you, when you act like a, like a tough manager, no one's going to believe in you or no one's going to, you know, if, if you haven't done anything. So it's just, it's that to me is like, it's not so much their style. It's not so much about the stories. It's just guys who don't really seem to know what they're doing. The whole Anthony Davis fiasco with like, they didn't want to deal with him. They wanted to deal with magic instead. And, and Judy was upset because she didn't know him any, you know, she didn't realize that magic was going to be offering all the young guys that he offered. Like it's, it's like who's running the show, and every day you read and you hear it's you know it's Linda Rambis or it's Jimmy Buss or it's with Magic or Kobe has input, and it's like is there a leader here? Is there like you know at the end of the day when it was the Lakers back in the day, it was like this is Jerry Buss's team. He's the owner. He has the final say, and you trusted it, and you don't have that with the Lakers now. So that's the most concerning thing because as a Laker fan. You know, I read a, a really interesting article, a couple, an ESPN article about like different cultures within the NBA and how like what are the what are, what are, what are the big things that the Rockets emphasize? What are the Warriors emphasize? What are the Lakers emphasize? And now the Lakers don't have that. Like it's still all about like let's get the next the next big name free agent, but there's not like a company a franchise culture that they're adhering to, and that to me what's worrisome is if they strike out in free agency this off season, how many more bad years is it going to be and it, it, 
I don't know. It could be. It could be a while. It could not. But that's the scary part as a Laker fan. You don't want it to go on forever. So here's what I here's what I took from the article. One, I mean, your magic points are are spot on. But to me, the guy who came off, you know, if you had to sort of power rank the guys who came off, you know, the worst, starting from the bottom up, I would say magic would be coming at three. Rob Polinka coming in at two because it just seems to be that he's a, a, a psychopath and that nobody wants to deal with him and that he's just, you know, a conniving dude. And which is funny because, like, who kind of got him this position? Like, his relationship to Kobe. So it's like, is Kobe now, like, snaking moves to try and take over the Lakers? I mean, is that happening? Who knows? Uh, who knows? Who knows with yeah, this team? Who knows? Yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. Right? Like, that, that, I think you nailed it on the head. Is, is Kobe, I mean, I would hope not. I love Kobe, but I, I, I don't want him making any, you know, GM decisions or personnel decisions. But you're right. Like, it's just right. It's just, it, it, it's, and that's why, like, throughout all of this, I wish Junie Buss would have come out and said, I know there's chaos. I know it seems like there's, but I'm in control. I'm the leader. I call the shots. Like, what a PR nightmare. And I get it. That's not her style. But I think all of this season's turn of events, like, that to me is, um, that to me should have happened. And then back to the magic thing, too, like, it's funny, you're going to laugh at this. I was watching the shop. Uh, oh, God. Catching up. It's actually not so bad. But my point is, is like, LeBron was, LeBron legitimately has a point. The fact that Magic, like, just bounced the way that he did and didn't even touch base with LeBron and didn't, I mean, it's. It's a bad one. Like, Magic Johnson was a god in LA. And now his name is just. It's not rolling off the tongue in a happy way for Laker fans. It's, it's Laker fans are pissed. And they're pissed at Magic, especially the way that he handled this. And it's it's going to take years, I think, before fans are going to start to like get happy about the name Magic Johnson again. And understandably so. I mean, but but Magic has done this before. Like he just decided he didn't want to coach, you know, during yeah. I think it was like the '94 season, and just bailed. Yeah. Like yeah, he's done it. this before. Yeah, which it, is not cool. No, it's it's not cool. So if you had to. Uh, Put the put the um, I guess put it in a pie, right? If you had to divide it up as a pie, uh, what percentage would be on Magic? What percentage would be on Genie? Uh, what percentage would be on Palinka? And uh, what percentage would be on LeBron? Considering you know, I find it strange that LeBron has you know all of his posse's on the payroll now. And, like, he just comes in and all of his boys, you know, are part of the organization and, like, LeBron has been a great player, but he has no equity in that organization yet. Or I should think I should even say now. I mean, he does have a point with the magic thing because that was super unprofessional. But, I mean, so how, how would you divvy up the, the blame pie over here? Yeah, I think, I think LeBron takes a percentage, 10, 15%. I don't like... Again, I don't think your your best player should be making personnel decisions. I don't know what went into that Anthony Davis thing, but people point to like, oh, the beginning of the end for the Lakers this year was LeBron's injury. I, it, to me, it's the Anthony Davis stuff. That's what really started all of this because the Lakers were in a good spot when LeBron went out, and when the Anthony Davis stuff started, that's when yes, LeBron was out, but then that's when you started to hear the Luke stuff come out with. Um, 
what's his name? I'm forgetting that I had that conversation with, with Adam Silver. Um, Rich Paul. Rich Paul. Hold and, on one second. How, how can, yeah. Why should an agent be having a conversation with the commissioner of the NBA or, thi- or this agent think that it's no, okay? He shouldn't. He shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. To he talk about a no, coach. That's also, but that's on LeBron. That's where LeBron has to step up and say, I can't have you doing that. I can't have you calling out like our coach like that. That's bad for our team morale. I can't have, you know, the Anthony Davis stuff, I don't know what conversations went down. I would have hoped LeBron's not part of those conversations. And if he was, I would hope that he would have said, listen, like, these are my guys. These, like, you decided to come to L.A. And you put on a face that, like, oh, I love Ingram and I love Kuzma's game. And, man, Lonzo's my guy. And, no, I mean, LeBron said repeatedly, I came to L.A. for basketball reasons. Okay, probably was a little bit of a lie. But if you believed in this roster, then you should not be behind anything that has to do with personnel stuff, whether it be that KCP thing with, with the whole, like, you know, that, the, 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 the on probation, on prison, but he could only play for those games. And, you know, LeBron was potentially behind the fact that, you know, everybody's name was up for trade bait except for KCP because he's, he's, on, he's called his agent. Like, any of that stuff, I don't know how much LeBron has a hand in it, but if he has a big hand in it, then obviously the percentage of that pie goes more up because none of it was handled well, and it's, it's decimating to the Lakers team. So that's number one. Number two, Magic and Jeannie, I, I mean, I think Jeannie is her team, and she, she never should have hired Magic to begin with. She never should have. And when Magic like first sat down, there was an interview that I, I, I retweeted on Twitter a couple weeks ago where Magic, I, I watched this live when Magic was first hired. He sat down and gave a whole interview on Time Warner about how he is going to devote all of his time to the Lakers, and this is like a full time job for him as president now. And Jeannie was sitting right there. It's her fault for hiring someone who she knows deep down was not going to give all of his efforts. Like, Correct. And then and said, and then hold on, hold on one him. second. And then said so, like, Jeannie knew what the deal was when she hired me, that I couldn't be in the office all the time. That was, that was absurd. Yeah, yeah, that was absurd. The, the, the one thing I'll say is this about pull, uh, splitting up the pie. So Jeannie's got, I don't know, whatever, 50%, LeBron 15 20%. You're um, running out of percentages now. Fine. Here's what I'll say. I, I, I'm hoping, okay, that Polinka maybe does, like, I don't know how much magic on that first take um, interview. It seemed like a lot of the decisions were him. He, at least he took accountability for a lot of the decision, the decision to trade D'Angelo, the decision to, to get, to trade for Zub, trade Zubac, the, the decision to um, the Anthony Davis stuff. Like, all of these decisions seem like they were meant not to re-sign uh, 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 Julius Randle. Magic took accountability. If that's the case, perhaps Polinka, we don't really know what, yes, he seems like a sleazeball. Seems like he's got some issues with some other GMs in the league. He, he certainly has got some weird Kobe stories that he likes to prop up because it makes him feel better. Whatever it is, fine. No worries. But it, it, Maybe he is a good GM. And Kobe, who we think is a smart guy, has given his blessing to Jeannie that Rob's a, Rob knows what he's doing. And this is, is I don't, I don't want to, I want to hold out on this pie chart of how much blame Polinka takes because we really don't know. So maybe this is the first offseason where we can judge Polinka. I'm surprised that he's <laughs> president and GM and he's got, you know, full control now, it seems like. Um, but there's another name, too, okay? that I'll throw out there in terms of part of the pie. I don't, 
I'm just awful with names, so I apologize. But he is I'll, – I'll text you the name when it's up. When this is over, you can look it up. He's head of, I think, Mark – I won't say somebody's name. I think he's part of AEG. And I think – forget about, even about the name of the specific person. The Lakers seem to be – and Jeannie – seem to be a little bit of a slave to – and I think Magic, Magic actually talked about this on the first take interview, where he, he said Jeannie has too many people in her ear – that are giving her the wrong advice. And I've heard from that guy that I follow on Twitter and from other things that I've read and listened to that the Lakers a lot of times, not a lot of times, are really only concerned, the deep pockets of the Lakers, the because Jeannie only owns, she's not the full owner of the Lakers, there's a lot of others. In fact, there's other owners who own more of the team than she does. And it's a family Ooh. business. That, that family that's, business. Their, that's their business. They, they make cool. money based on the Lakers. Exactly. And that really, the people who are really pulling the strings of real ownership really just want players and, tra- and transactions to be made that are really marketable for the team. And I think about that because I've seen that go on. I, I think about that statement, and I've seen that go on with the Lakers the last four or five years where they're making moves, okay, because they've got this huge TV deal with Time Warner, and they're make- which they have, to, you know, they have to pay for, and they need the ratings. And I'm sure other marketing things that go into all this. It's not just basketball, right? It's the business of basketball, where they're making moves that are like, wait, we're really we're signing Carlos Boozer. Wait, we're going after Jeremy Lin. Wait, we have why is Jason Kidd going to be our assistant coach? In other words, we continue to make like some of these decisions on like on brand name, on guys who people know and familiar with, Laker fans, the casual fans, but who haven't. I mean, look at the last offseason, like last Lance Stevenson. Uh, Javal McGee, Tyson Chandler, are these are these moves because we really feel like these guys can like produce, or are these moves because they can sell tickets, or or what's going on here? And I hear that statement, and then I hear Magic statement. I hear the, I I hear the Twitter guy, and then I hear Magic statement about G's got the wrong people in her ear, and the wrong people are sitting in meetings making basketball decisions. And I put it all together, and I'm like. Wow, Laker fans are getting bamboozled a little bit, man. We're being run by a freaking circus. If that's the case, and we're really hot, like signing guys because of their 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 brand name, shit. I'm sorry. Here's <laughs> that's, here's that's what a I, really big problem to he, me. So that takes a big piece of that yeah. pie chart. Here's what I'm gonna say because we got to wrap up in the next couple of minutes. Uh, I I I understand your thoughts on Polinka, but at the same time, like. If you're in that position, it is your job to be a people's person and a relationship person because that's what this business is based on. So, I mean, the fact that he is, you know, a borderline disaster in that respect, uh, it's hard to to differentiate. But obviously, I would say, you know, Jeannie takes the most blame because ultimately it's her show. Then I would probably say Rob. Then Magic. About close, and that, and that's pretty much it. And I know I joked about LeBron, but I mean that sure. that's really that's really um, minor at this point. But I mean, to you, like any prospective free agent, because as we've seen, you know, players move; they don't necessarily go to markets; they go to situations. Like, yeah. do you feel confident that that they can get anybody? Because who would want to go to a situation like this? Like, agents are going to steer away from this. Yeah, I mean, I think well, here's the thing. Like, do guy, I know you got to go, but do guys 
I question, do guys care about like organizational harmony, right? Do they care? There's a guy like uh, Kyrie, right? Or, or well, Kyrie's a bad like example. Kyrie's a bad, bad example because right? he's a right. nutcase. Like, sure, sure. But do guys, do generally, do star free agents think about, huh, like, do I really want to go to this squad? Do I really want to sign with the Lakers with all this dysfunction or do they not care about it? And I think the answer is, is they might, they probably care about it because why isn't anybody signed with the Knicks? Right? Like why aren't guys, why, and even the Lakers other than LeBron have had trouble the last several years signing big name Correct. Free agents when that, when that seems to be their thing. So you're right. I mean, LeBron seems like our, he's our, uh, you know, he's our guy that's out in the field, and he's he's the one. He's our, our our own GM right now, trying to get guys to come. And you know, but I'll, I'll say this. I'll end with this. Like, whether or not they get certain stars this year, great. Okay, if they do, but also like it's it's not a structure or a recipe for long term success. And I think what 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 we always had as Laker fans, we always knew. Like, even if we struck out on a guy or we struck out on a deal or a trade, like, even when the Chris Paul thing didn't go down, we're not we're not a desperate – we never felt like we're a desperate franchise. It's like, oh, man, we didn't get this guy. That's it. It's over. It's like, no, we're the Lakers. We've got an identity. We've got a really good ownership and coach and, and, and GM and structure in place, and we'll find other ways to be successful. Now you don't feel that way. So even if we get a guy like Jimmy Butler or something like that this offseason – what you know we're like great but long term you know are we still the lakers anymore and i think that's what everybody's worrying about now is it seems like we're not we're just you know like that identity and that um like superiority is is, is waiting the laker exceptionalism seems to be gone uh yeah. with that rob thanks so much for your time i mean this was this was awesome we could probably go for another hour on this because we didn't even talk about the coaching debacle with the lakers but sure. uh, we're gonna we'll have to save it and we'll um i'll check in with you uh around free agency when we actually see if uh if they can pull it together it was always always a pleasure man and i'll speak to you soon all right thanks aaron next time there bye Okay, uh, that was uh, episode 48. Uh, big shout-out to my man Rob Carpellis for giving me uh, that much of his time. Awesome conversational as always. Um, that's a wrap. Episode 48, take us out, Meek and Drake. You ain't living that you said, yeah, we know that's cat. You ain't got the ass when you see me, no, I'm straight. DTOVO, we back again, we going back. Just a little 10 piece for it, just to blow it in the mall. Doesn't mean that we involved. I just what? I just uh, put a Richard on the card. I ain't go playing ball, but I'll show you how to. Gotta do it if you really wanna fall. Take your five when you're back against the wall, and a bunch of need you to go away. Still going bad on them anyway. Saw you last night, but did it bad day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.